Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. There's limited time. Yes, very limited time. Today, uh, this this episode will drop on Thursday, the, uh, what is it, the 8th, 6th, 6th, 8th, 6th, 6th, 8th. Don't just shout out numbers. 14. Today is the final day to vote for the Webbies, and we were nominated, and we're up against all these like major corporations. And at this point, we're ahead. Believe it or not, you freaks are really coming through for us. But if you've got time and you get in there and you have the opportunity to vote before it closes, but we ask that you please do that. Please, thank yeah. you. Voting closes at midnight Thursday, May the sixth. And uh, every vote really is going to make a difference at this point. Let's show them that some little goofball show from Bangor, Maine can beat the corporation. Yeah. Yeah. Please. (laughs) (laughs) You can vote by going to our website, theboxofoddities.com. There's a link that's cleverly titled Webby Voting. Great job, by the way. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. You are going to go first this episode, right? Uh, Yeah, if you don't mind. No, absolutely. That's fine. I just, I have a question for you. Yes. What you got for me? What, what you, what, what you, what you got for me? What, 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 what you got for me? Yeah, I got, we got an email uh, from somebody uh, saying that they were <laughs> greatly disappointed that uh, Jethro has been letting us down and not playing the What You Got For Me jingle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, But Kat's I, here for you. Yeah. And Kat I was, will play it. I was sternly reprimanded by the curator <laughs> for that. So Kat just wanted to make sure that I didn't uh, screw up again. So there you go. <laughs> but seriously, what do you have for me? I have the amazing story of a guy named Eugene Bullard. Eugene was born on October 9th, 1895, in the town of Columbus, Georgia. His family had a history of tough breaks and bad luck. Even worse, 
He was uh, the descendant of slaves and Native Americans. And during these days, he was forced to live under Jim Crow laws, Mm. which was not a good thing. He would later say that it felt he felt the presence of racism like, quote, a growing, growing virus. At one point, when he was a very young man, uh, his father had to flee a lynch mob that came and raided their house. Oh, jeez. So in 1906... Eugene was 11 or 12 years old, and he decided that he was just going to run away from home. He'd later say he left because he wanted to find a place where, quote, white people treated colored people like human beings. He sold his pet goat for $1.50. Oh, my God. And he hit the road, and that $1.50 was all he had in his pockets. I'm sorry, you said he was 11? 11 or 12, yeah. Oh, my gosh. He'd spend the next few years just kind of roaming about the South, Picking up an odd job here and there. Stop. And uh, he started to hear stories, though, about the way that people in Europe treated African Americans and that it was different than the way that the citizens of the United States treated them. So in 1912, he decided he was going to move to Europe. Just a kid. As you can imagine, this was a pretty big decision for a young man in a situation like this sure. at the time. Um, he took a train to Virginia, and there he found a German freighter named the Marta Ross. And he stowed away on the freighter. Oh, my goodness. The ship was heading heading to Hamburg, Germany. It had only been a few days out on the open seas, and he was discovered by the crew. But they were sympathetic. Because he was a baby. And they, uh, they allowed him to work off his passage on the way over. They gave him a job. You say, you do this, and we'll call it good. That's incredible. He landed in Scotland. And immediately found out that what he'd been told about the people in Europe was true. He'd later say that they treated him, quote, just like one of their own. He felt like he had been born into a new world. He started out with a series of odd jobs just to make ends meet. One of those jobs was cleaning a boxing gymnasium. Okay, once again, I'm just going to point out that you and I have some sort of weird (laughs) brain connection. Please continue. As he worked at the gym, he became a little bit curious about the sport and thought he'd pick it up for himself. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so so he started, uh, soon he started making a name for himself as a boxer. He actually became a serious contender for the welterweight championship belt. Oh, wow. At this point, Bullard had heard all these stories about France, and that was where he wanted to go. And in 1913, he had his chance. He, along with other boxers, went to Paris to compete in a match. When his fellow boxers left to go back to Scotland, he stayed in France, and he knew that he had found a home. He was amazed to learn that even white Americans visiting France treated him as an equal. He was there for about a year when Europe was plunged into World War I. Mm. In the summer of 1914, at the age of 19, he enlisted in the French Foreign Legion. He almost immediately proved himself on the battlefield And in 1916, he was transferred to the regular French army. His fellow soldiers nicknamed him the Black Swallow. He uh, fought in many bloody, grueling battles, including the Battle of Verdun. And there he sustained a massive head injury while fighting in the trenches. Yet he stayed in the trenches while he was wounded and continued to fight on. Because of his injuries, he, he was no longer eligible to fight trench warfare. He received the top French military award for valor. And at this point, France was just developing an air force. 
Bullard bet a friend $2,000 that he could become a pilot and join the Air Force. Oh, my goodness. And that's exactly what he did. He became an instant celebrity in France. He said, by midnight, the day I was named a pilot, every American in Paris knew that an American by the name of Eugene Bullard, born in Georgia, had obtained a military pilot's license. Wow. Eugene was accepted into the Lafayette Escadrille, which is a division of the uh, French Air Force, and it was mostly made up of American volunteers. He was the very first black American combat pilot, even though he wasn't in the American Army. Oh, wow. He flew 27 missions in a plane that he wrote a motto on the side of, and that motto was, All Blood Runs Red. He shot down two German planes in combat. He himself was once shot down. Uh, his plane was peppered with over 100 bullet holes. He was rescued by fellow soldiers and uh, survived unscathed. In 1917, the U.S. joined the war. And Bullard and 28 other American pilots who were flying for France at the time applied to join the U.S. service. All the pilots were accepted, except Bullard. Of course, this was a major slight mm -hmm. by his home country, but Bullard continued to fly for France. He said he got some comfort out of knowing that he was able to go on fighting on the same front for the same cause, even if he wasn't in his own country's army. He had a bit of a clash with uh, a superior officer, and even though he uh, had earned more than a dozen medals, he was reassigned to a desk job far from the front. Mm-hmm. After the war, he became swept up in the jazz age of post-war Paris. And in, the, in an arts, a very artsy neighborhood, he took drum lessons and began to manage <laughs> the iconic after-hours club Zealous Royal Box. Oh, my God. He married a French woman named Marcel Stroman in 1923. They had two daughters. In 1924, he started his own nightclub. Le Grand Duc. Wow. Was very popular in the heart of the black American expat community. He became friends with people like Langston Hughes and Louis Armstrong. Wow. <laughs> in 1929, the stock market, of course, crashed in the U.S. In Germany, Nazis were growing in power. And Bullard's Club became a very popular hangout for German uh, military officials. France counterintelligence employed Bullard as a spy. He would give the German officers free champagne and get them all liquored up. And they didn't think he could speak German, but he spoke it fluently. And so the drunker they got, the more secrets they spilled. And Eugene reported that back to the French counterintelligence. Oh, my gosh. In June of 1940, the Nazis marched into Paris. Eugene was forced to close his nightclub. He then re-enlisted in the army. But not for very long because he was injured in combat almost immediately and was smuggled out of France by other Americans as the Nazis began to take control of France. <laughs> he boarded a steamer and he headed back to the United States. What a life. Once he docked in the U.S., it wasn't long before he realized that things hadn't changed very much as far as racial equality mm. went. White veterans were greeted by a representative of the American Legion who offered them hot a hotel and a small stipend. Bullard... The only black veteran on the ship was offered nothing. So he got an apartment in Spanish Harlem and arranged for his daughters to join him in the U.S. He worked there as an, a longshoreman for a while, but because of the injuries he got in, in, in the war, he wasn't physically able to continue that type of uh, labor. labor. So he got a job selling perfume for a year. He then started 
helping Louis Armstrong get booked uh, for some European bookings. He still remained friends with Louis Armstrong. Finally, he was offered a job as an elevator operator at the RCA building, which is today's uh, Rockefeller Center. Mm Mm-hmm. Back in Paris, Bullard was seen as a war hero, and on his 64th birthday in 1959, they made him a Chevalier, or Knight of the French Legion of Honor. This is a great honor. And he can't even get a hotel room in the States. No, no, he was was, uh, operating an elevator in New York City. (sighs) But that's when the host of the Today Show, Dave Garraway heard about the story and invited him to come on his show to be interviewed. And Bullard agreed. He brought all 15 of his war medals with him to show the audience. And as he was being uh, interviewed, he was wearing his elevator operator uniform on the show. And Garraway said something to the effect that probably that uniform wasn't as fancy as the one that he wore in the French Legion. And Bullard said, yes, that's true, but this one's not full of bullet holes. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he went on to try to publish his memoir. He wrote an autobiographical account of his amazing life. He sent it out to publishers all over the country, and nobody picked it up. Um, One rejection that he received by a publisher said that his story was too unbelievable. He said the story was made of uh, daydreams, the likes of which Walter Mitty could not compare. Oh, wow. He thought that it was such an unbelievable story that they thought he was lying. Right. Bullard died in 1961 of intestinal cancer. Oh, His friends continued to pitch his memoirs to publishers. It was finally published in 1972. Bullard was buried in his French legionnaire uniform, Mm. his coffin draped with the French tricolor. Eugene Bullard. What a life. That is an incredible story. And also really super depressing. (laughs) Well, there is that. It's embarrassing sometimes to to hear those kinds of stories. Yeah. And yeah, this is how we treated... Uh, war heroes. Uh, war heroes. Yeah. But regardless of all of that, it does not detract from what an amazing life. And, and it was such a uh, uh, deeply textured existence. The man became a champion boxer, <laughs> a fighter pilot. Perfume salesman, club owner, friends with Louis Armstrong... And he won 15 war medals. It, it just just amazing. Oh, and a drummer. Oh, and a drummer. Yeah. yeah. But don't hold that against him. I don't understand drummer jokes. <laughs> and now, that thing in the middle. The British have always been innovators. The British Army, in fact, was the very first army to use an automobile during war. They first introduced it during World War One. The decision had come down to either a gasoline combustible engine or a steam-powered engine. The British ultimately chose the steam-powered automobile because they could use the boiler to make tea. Sometimes these liners just aren't very creative, like that one just now. This is the Box of Oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the Aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, 
Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parenting kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. 
Jay sent us this email. Hey guys, been listening to, uh, just got done listening to episode 311. I'm a little behind, I know. It's about the green man, No Face Charlie, and thoroughly enjoyed Cat's Tale of the Library Guy and Jethro's sag- Saga of the Pie Man. Those were interesting, eccentric individuals mm. who lived in our hometowns. Uh, they reminded me of this chap that lived in the hedgerows and bushes down the back lane of our village in northern England. As young teens, he was the man that we went to see when we wanted gentlemen's recreational magazines, cigarettes, and booze. Wait, did you meet him in the woods? Because that's what I hear happened <laughs> yeah. back in the day was you got porn in the woods. That's Yeah, you did. It's so weird. If there's a bustle in your hedgerow, don't be alarmed now. His price was a can or two of lager and a couple of cigarettes from the pack. He was an exceptionally nice fella. Now, sadly, long passed on. The thing I think you'll particularly like was his given name, however. This legend from my childhood was universally known as... As Wobbly Bob. (laughs) R.I.P. Wobbly Bob. You were the man. Wobbly Bob. (laughs) Thanks, Jay. That's wonderful. For the story of Wobbly Bob. I love those eccentric people from your hometown stories because we've all got them. Oh, yeah. Share yours with us either on social media or um, curator at theboxofoddities.com. Maybe we can make an episode out of that. Oh, my gosh. I would love that. That would well, be Well, you know, I've been pushing for the inbox of oddities yes. for some time. I know. I know. We, we do that on Patreon. Uh, occasionally for our patrons, we'll do a bonus episode called the inbox of oddities and share some of the, uh, emails and messages that we don't, haven't had time to share on the regular program. Mm. One more great reason to become a patron, the box of <laughs> And while you're there, vote for the webbies. Anyway. Oh, wow. What you got, got lots of demands today. Oh, here's a bonus. What you got <laughs> for me. What, what you, what, what you, mm. all right. We all know how that goes. Anyway, <laughs> what are we learning about? From Miss Katrina Walls. The earliest record of boxing was found. <laughs> <laughs> now, if the boxer in your story is named Wobbly Bob, I'm getting in my truck and leaving. I wish. Um, so ancient Sumerian relief sculptures from Mesopotamia show uh, boxing happening. There was an Egyptian relief from 1350 BCE that shows bare-fisted boxers and an audience. And we know that around 1500 to 1400 BCE, uh, fighting with gloves had emerged. When boxing came to the Romans in 393 CE, the gloves were modified with pointy metal studs, making the event full of blood and gore, But which, of course, was very entertaining. But soon that became outlawed. That wasn't a thing for very long. That's the next step for UFC, though. <laughs> According to Encyclopedia Britannica, modern boxing observes 12 rules, which attempt to make the sport more humane, uh, which, of course, is... Tough to do when it's basically hit someone until they stop hitting you back. Right. uh, Right. Anyway, Um, they were written by... It's it's the sweet science, though. (laughs) I don't know what that means. They were written by Londoner John Graham Chambers and published by John Sholto Douglas, the ninth Marquis of Queensberry in 1867. The Queensberry rules are still in force today. And um, among other things, limit rounds to three minutes with one minute between rounds. Remember that boxing uh, episode of Bugs Bunny when he put like 
horseshoes and an anvil in his gloves. Remember no. that? That probably wouldn't be the Queensbury rules. <laughs> I don't. I, I remember vaguely that Bugs Bunny episode with the um, the classical music and he was dressed as a, a beautiful lady bunny. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the only one I remember. That's, wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm embarrassed for you. I'm embarrassed for you. Why? Because I... Because of your face. <laughs> well, I can't argue with that. All right, then. Embarrassed for me. I'll t- embarrassed for you. When uh, in 1743, boxer Jack Broughton put forth the Broughton's rules in an attempt to curb deaths in the ring. Sure. And it gave the fighters 30 seconds after being knocked down to get back up. And it included the no hitting below the belt rule. Now, I don't see how encouraging boxers to get back up is helping to eliminate deaths in the ring. Because if you just fell down and you struggled and you were like, ah, and they were like, all right, you lost, then they would get to leave the ring. But making them get back up is like, oh, no, you're going to die. Stop trying to leave. I think maybe maybe that rule was put into place to keep the attacker from pummeling the guy while he's still on the mat. Maybe. That's my thought. Anyway, so. It's the sweet science. So less than 30 years after the Queensberry rules were put in place, they most likely played a huge part in what became the longest boxing match in history. Really? So an estimated 8,500 fans had shown up to witness the fight that would decide who would hold the title of lightweight from the South. Now, I don't think that's how they phrased it, but... That's how I don't understand boxing lingo. And this was what year again? I ha- I haven't said what year it is oh, yet. Oh, okay. So right. that's why I don't know it. That's that is exactly why you don't know it. It's April sixth, eighteen ninety three. Andy Bowen, a veteran boxer who came from New Orleans and who weighed about one hundred twenty nine pounds went up against Jack Burke, a newcomer to the sport. He was of Texas and weighed about one hundred thirty pounds. This is according to On This Day in Sports. Bowen was a short, stocky fighter, though scrappy and tough, and he was known for his marathon fights. He always won, and sometimes it was just by tiring the other people out. Burke was not well known. He was a boxing trainer, and as I understand it, it was his boxer that was originally supposed to fight this night. But his boxer failed. So he was like, all right, I guess I will. Which I didn't know could be a thing. I don't think it is nowadays. Probably not. I can't imagine Casamato getting in the ring. Uh, Well, he's dead now. I don't know who that is. It doesn't matter. Okay. Now, of course, boxing was kind of not looked upon in the best light during this time in New Orleans. And to make it, quote unquote, respectable, they had some guidelines. And that included no fighting on Sundays because it matters what day of the week you kill someone by punching them. Sure. Um, And no alcohol for those in the crowd. Really? And a portion of the proceeds had to go to charity. Okay. Which I think is great. Yeah. Um, But people were still betting, and they were betting on Bowen. So the fight actually started out pretty promising for Burke, the unknown Texan trainer guy. And he came out strong. He was, over the first few rounds, getting the better of Bowen. 
Now, not a lot of details remain about the early rounds of this fight. Um, You know how in sports now, people can document every move that people make in any sport. It's it's one of those things. It's just there are those who are so involved in the sport that they can tell you everything that happened and what that means in the history of sports. So, oh, look, he stole second, and uh, the guy on first base was wearing a red hat, and that's the first time that's happened since 1973. (laughs) Yeah, statistics get out into the weeds a little bit sometimes. It can, but we don't have a ton of information, uh, as I said, about the the round-by-round details. What we do know was that for every hit Bowen struck, Burke landed a blow as well. Burke hit and hit and hit and Andy Bowen just kept taking it. And it was said around round 25. Holy crap. That not only was Bowen not backing away from punches, he was leaning into them. He was inflicting pain upon his opponent by making his his punching him hurt him more. He was hurting the opposing boxer's fists. Yes. Oh. By leaning into the punches. Wow. So you can see how this is already, I mean, it's getting kind of out of hand. And both of them are incredible fighters, chock full of stamina. Although their faces probably look like meatloaf. Probably not doing great. And it was around the 51st round. Oh, my God. Bowen asked Burke why he wasn't fighting back. And Burke replied, I can't. Both my hands are gone. And, of course, they didn't know what that meant at that time. But basically what Burke was doing was just trying to deflect punches, like, with his arms Mm -hmm. and, you know, scooping under. That There's terms. Okay. Slip the punch. Um, Sure. Sweet signs. Jab. Swoop. (laughs) Yep, the jab swoop. But neither man is giving up. And the people are starting to, like, get concerned because they are slowing down, obviously. Many more rounds that they're seeing where no one's throwing punches even. They're just kind of, like, circling around the (laughs) ring because they're exhausted. You hang up first. No, you. As midnight approaches, the fight's going nowhere. Many people have left the auditorium. There are spectators who stayed to watch the fight who had fallen asleep in their seats. (laughs) Wow. So close to midnight. Mm -hmm. So how long has the fight been going on at this point? At this point, not sure exactly. But our last update was in round 51. (laughs) Um, So... Wow. And that's right about where the I don't know, my hands are gone situation happened. So if it's three minutes and it's round 51. Well, that's nearly three hours of just fighting, not Mm. not counting the, you know, in between rounds and stuff. Okay. Okay. That's crazy. Yeah. So obviously this is not a situation that you can just keep going. It's it's becoming insane. So at round 108. Oh, my God. With no clear end in sight, the referee, whose name was John Duffy, made the decision that if no winner had emerged in the next two rounds, the bout would be ruled a no contest. Hmm. Now, again, I don't know all the things about boxing. You may have picked up on that by now. But 
I suppose the the ref can do that. I mean, at a certain point, he's like, dudes, I got to (laughs) go. Yeah, I have a prior commitment. I have a Zoom meeting at three. Right. But uh, good job. So two more rounds happen, and neither of them even throw a punch. They're both just lumbering around the ring, um, kind of like a weird, bloody, tired dance. (laughs) Uh, It's, yeah. Um, So... The the referee said that's it. We're not we're not going to continue doing this anymore. It's become very sad, and I'm concerned. So uh, they they halted the match. At that point, the fight had lasted 110 rounds over seven hours and 19 minutes. Good lord, good lord. So when the draw was called, what happens then? Well, they had a a pot. Uh, they had the 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 booty the mm-hmm. um. Purse. Yes. Yep. The purse. I know stuff. (laughs) And so they split it. It was $2,500 and they decided that they would split it, which was great. At the end of the match, both of them kind of fell out of the ring. There was no like, you know, hopping over the ropes and woohoo. They just kind of flopped Mm -hmm. out. Mm. Both of them had lost 10 pounds. Wow. Wow. Probably a lot of that was blood loss. Probably a lot of it was blood loss, yes. Um, They discovered that Burke's hands, yes, when he said that they were gone, he meant, I can't punch with them anymore. They are hurt. Uh, But at the end of the match, they did discover that he had broken all of the bones (gasps) in both of his hands. Wow. So that's why he couldn't punch with them anymore. It'd be like smacking somebody with a tube sock full of sand. I was, I was going to say a baggie of pizza dough, <laughs> yeah, that, but very similar. That works. Yep. Um, he was bedridden for six weeks after this fight. Um, and he, you know, obviously that's a long time to think about what you're doing with your time. <laughs> and so he considered retiring. But eh, why? Why? Right. So he <laughs> he chose to continue competing. And had many years where he got to talk about his amazing longest fight, 110 rounds boxing match. Bowen fought four more times after this fight as well. Just a few months after this fight, he fought victoriously in an 85-round fight, during which he broke his left hand, but still continued to fight and beat his opponent one-handed. Wow. I can only imagine... That in this second fight, he gets up to like the 80th round and he's got to be thinking, oh, not again. Right. (laughs) Unfortunately, Bowen's last fight was against Kid Levine. He was knocked down in the 18th round and he hit his head on the wooden canvas Mm. and never regained consciousness. He ended up passing away at seven o'clock the next morning at the age of 27. In 1982, matches were limited to 12 rounds. It wasn't until 1982. This I did not know. I didn't either. I assume after a 110-round match, they would be like, wow, let's take care of this. This is bananas. (laughs) But they decided not to do anything about it for another 100 years or so. So uh, it was in 1982, matches were limited to 12 rounds. So uh, that means that the fight between Andy Bowen and Jack Burke uh, will never be surpassed. That is a record that will never be broken. That's fascinating. I have never heard that story before. Andy Bowen, Jack Burke, 110 rounds. 
I wonder how those guys would do competing against modern day UFC fighters. That's a really interesting thought. I wish there was some way that we, uh, there's got to be some computer algorithm that could figure it out. But uh, that's technical stuff. And I've got a Zoom meeting at three. So, <laughs> hey, you guys, once more. Webby's vote, please. TheBoxOfOddities.com. All right, we won't mention That's it again. That's the last time Webby Awards. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly, you beautiful Webby Awards. <laughs> and so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash BoxOfOdditiesPodcast On Twitter at BoxOfOddities And Instagram at BoxOfOdditiesPodcast Copyright 2021 All rights reserved history but hate when it's stuffy and boring well look no further and join me katie charlwood your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books as i delve into unsolved historical mysteries murders by gaslight and of course women who have been misrepresented through all time on who did what now the history podcast that's not your history class listen wherever you get your podcasts hi i'm neil and i'm ken and we are from the triviality podcast a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.